As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Lewis, and I am the executive assistant to Mike Sipple Jr., your host on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. And today we are going to do something pretty fun, I think. Um, We're going to turn the tables on Mike. He is so good at interviewing other leaders. And I was talking to him the other day, and I said, Mike, do your listeners know you? Um, I feel you're a great leader, and I'm not just kissing up to him because he's sitting across the table from me right now. It's because I truly believe Mike is a great leader, and I've learned so much from him during my time here at Centennial, and I want you to get to know him better um, by listening to this today. Um, We're going to talk about many different topics, but most of all, I want you to learn what it's like being a child in a family-run business. And Mike is a second-generation owner um, at Centennial. And I think that you not only have a lot to learn about him as a leader, but a lot to learn from him as being a second-generation owner. So today I'm hoping that, first of all, Mike, our listeners get to know you better. Um, As I said, you spend a lot of time introducing them to other great leaders. I want them to get to know you. Second, I want them to get a sense of what it's like to be a child following in a parent's footsteps, like pretty directly in a parent's footsteps. And last, I want our listeners um, who might be considering whether or not to join their family family business to get some insights from your personal story. Um, I'm hoping that something you may or something maybe that you even don't say will tip them off um, in determining whether or not it's the right time or maybe if it's ever the right time to join their family's business. So first of all, I'd like to thank you for joining me here today on the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Thank you so much, Chris. This is an honor to have the tables turned. And I will admit, if I sound a little nervous to our listeners, it's because I am. I've never been a podcast host before, so I think this is an extra special treat and um, fulfilling some sort of dream of mine, too. So thank you so much. I hope it's the, the first of many. Thanks. Um, so I've been curious and I've had little snippets of this conversation in the hallway and at the water cooler, so to speak, um, with you, what was it like growing up having parents who owned a family business? What was that like? It's a great question. So I would say that, um, I didn't really recognize, didn't really understand the concept that my parents owned a company until I was working at the company after high school. Hmm. Um, you know, I knew that my parents, um, that my dad ran a company because Mm -hmm. just a little history for those listening, my father, um, which most people think was the founder of Centennial was actually the first employee of Centennial. So Jim and Mary Morse started Centennial back in 1975. Um, Jim died in a fatal accident in 1980 which is when my dad was asked to take over the organization as president as the youngest partner at the time, but the individual that Jim and Mary felt like um, would lead the organization with their values and treat people the way they would want 
their people to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in a unique scenario that Jim and that Mary Morse um, was a grandmother figure to me, right? Mm-hmm. She happened to be the owner of our the company that my parents worked at, but I knew her as a grandmother um, in, in my life. So, um, so that was the unique, you know, we grew up, I knew my dad, um, went to work every day and I knew that my mom was involved in the company that my dad was with, but the, the concept of them owning the company didn't become reality until 1998. Um, so that's when Mary in her late, uh, early eighties, um, decided to sell the company. Hmm. And that's when my parents decided to buy the business. Um, so that was a time there was a lot of, um, I would say healthy stress, tension, emotion. Early on, I never felt the emotion of business, of being in the ownership space. My dad's always been, at least as far as I can experience or did experience, um, good to kind of compartmentalize more than I might be able to as a young executive. Um, and then in 2001, I joined the company uh, right as I graduated high school and uh, was working in the company um, as a kind of administrator and helper uh, to help put myself through college. Mm-hmm. So when you were growing up then, the conversation around the dinner table didn't necessarily focus on Centennial or like how much did they talk about the business, your mom and dad growing up? So growing up, I honestly don't remember them talking about business very much Mm. as a child. Interesting. Um, Which I do think is unique. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, part of it is I peel back the, that when I was uh, little, my dad worked all the time. Okay. Right. And so he was at work late and, um, and I, I, again, I don't really even remember that. I don't remember feeling that he wasn't present. I just know that maybe he wasn't there as much as now I try to be there because of his encouragement mm-hmm. um, for walking in his footsteps of things to maybe try to do a little different uh, for my family and my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other dynamic is, you know, the only when I started feeling um, really understanding that they own a business was when, again, I mentioned I started with the organization and then my sisters were graduating high school. Um, and going to college. And there was just some financial burden, you mm-hmm. know. Um, 2001, um, I joined right at kind of the lowest of low uh, mm-hmm. with what was happening in our world uh, based on 9-11. And, um, and my parents were really rebuilding the company at that time. So I kind of joined at the opportunity to rebuild the organization um, and focus on our future mm-hmm. um, in 2001. I remember our first strategic planning session in 2002 um, that I happened to be and have the opportunity to be a part of. Um, and that's when it really started setting in. Like, this is what business looks like. This is what exposure to the company looks like. Um, I do remember running around the halls when I was little and stealing peppermints from all the offices and picking up autographed baseballs where people didn't know that I was in their office on the weekends because dad was there cleaning out boxes or making phone calls. Uh, I remember setting off the alarm on the front door all the time. I thought it was cool. Every time you open the door, you get a bing bong, <laughs> you know? Um, and I remember the American flags and eagles in the lobby. Um, mm-hmm. Centennial was founded in the bicentennial year. And I just, uh, we have a very patriotic family. Um, and I remember that vividly with the offices. So back when you were finishing up high school and joining the business, did you think you were 
starting your career or did you think you were simply getting a job to give yourself some fun money or what? Like, is this what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to be an architect. Mm, um, I actually I wanted to go into architectural design. Mm-hmm. Um, and as any um, parent who owns a business, um, my dad said, well, you need to go out and meet some architects. Okay. Um, so he introduced me to three architects. Um, and I, after meeting them, I did not want to be an architect. Yeah. Um, so I decided I want to be a landscape architect. Um, so I actually went to school for landscaping and turf grass management. Oh, wonderful. Um, that's actually my education. So I know more about weeds and flowers and um, geometry um, than most people would ever know. Okay. So I didn't know that my grass is dead right now. So you'll have to give me some tips on like getting it back to green. So well, I I enjoy the outside. I still enjoy working in the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know my again my dad and mom allowed me to use their yard as my experiment. I started a company, a formal business, a landscaping business, or I'm sorry, a lawn care business when I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would leave high school. Um, Thank you, high school people who might still be following me and listening to this podcast. I, I had enough credit to graduate in my junior year. Mm-hmm. So I would leave school at 1.30 and go mow lawns and then show back up, meet up with my buddies, get my baseball gear on, head to the baseball field during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have already made, you know, $85, $115. And um, my friends just had to deal with gasoline smell in my van that I would drive <laughs> to the ball fields with. Yeah. So at what point did all of a sudden you think, so here you are working in the business as a young adult, um, newly minted high school graduate, furthering your education. At what point did you all of a sudden decide, well, gosh, maybe this is somewhere I want to hang my hat for a while? Was was there any type of epiphany or did it just happen so that one day added up onto the next day and before you know it, 365 days it accumulated? What? So part of being born into the Sipple family is that we have the gift to love people mm-hmm. and to have relationships. And we enjoy building and getting to know one another and connecting with people. Um, and apparently I was good at it mm-hmm. uh, when I first started. So one of our advisors, um, Walt Mole, mm-hmm. who is a dream manager with our company, um, he and I actually shared an office. Walt had retired and uh, joined Centennial to do some consulting and search work. And uh, kind of one day looked at my dad and said, I think Junior would be actually really good at this business. Um, and I actually found myself enjoying what I was doing, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't the strategy um, to for this to be a family business. Although my mom would say, and, and Mary Morris, who's no longer with us, would say it was their strategy all along. Um, but I, you know, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed connecting with people. I enjoyed building relationships. I enjoyed understanding other people's challenges and obstacles and opportunities and helping them work through that. Mm-hmm. When you first joined the company, you said it was more an administrative role. How quickly did you climb the ladder here? Because um, obviously you're president now. Did you climb it rung by rung or did you get to take giant leaps? How did your dad and mom you know, have a natural progression of your career here at Centennial? Well, I would say it wasn't laid out, mm-hmm. um, again, because it wasn't the intention, right? So started out in data entry. I mean, I started out in data entry, and then I really enjoyed technology. So I became the technology person, and I helped take the the company from Macintosh to PCs and built all the PCs because I was a computer geek as a side hobby in high school. 
um, which again, many people don't know, but I, I actually gamed competitively. So I, pay, I, I played a game competitively and traveled and had a, had a tote that I could put my whole computer case on and take it with me. And, um, so I was, I am a computer geek. Um, and that whole dynamic, I just, you know, I enjoyed being in the office. I enjoyed helping I enjoyed data entry, this, that, and the other. And then I realized what I really enjoyed was connecting with people and finding mm -hmm. people for great opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then kind of progressed into that executive recruiting space and over many years and really just thought I would hang out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I'll be a fulfillment guy mm -hmm. for all of our team mm -hmm. and what, what are the clients have need and how can I serve? Um, and then slowly and after some encouragement, um, by many people, um, including Walt Mole, including Pam Beek, um, including my dad, um, decided to really get into this relationship development thing mm -hmm. and get out and build relationships and help meet new organizations and create new introductions. And, um, and then that, that piece right there really started to progress the career, right? Once you get, you know, I was, um, one of our podcasts that we released earlier with Chris Painter, um, talking about, um, becoming CEO, you know, I was helping Chris build his executive team in my mid to late twenties. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that for leaders all over the, this region at that time. And, um, and was really good. You know, I was good at it. Um, people trusted me. People wanted my insights. They wanted perspective, but I was in my mid to late twenties. Um, our, one of the coaches that we use, Gary Staubel, um, you know, a decade ago mentioned, you know, you're one of the youngest big billers in our industry across the country. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't think that was, you know, there's a gift to being in the retained search business. There's a gift to really understanding and wanting to help organizations and fortunately, I think it's part of my uh, DNA. Yeah. You mentioned Walt and others who greatly influenced um, your choices to stay here at Centennial and build on your career. One thing we always encourage people to do is to have mentors. Who mentored you during this time outside of the company? Who, who are those people that really helped shape your leadership? Um, Anybody in particular? And what did you learn from them? Yeah. So in 2006, my dad was asked a question by one of his advisors of what will happen, what, where will you be in 10 years and mm -hmm. who's going to be running your organization? That led us to ultimately going through the Gearing Center for Family and Private Business um, Next Generation Institute. That was in 2007. Okay. That began the introduction. My dad and I went into that program not knowing if we would be a family business but to just learn. Mm -hmm. And I actually told him, um, I'll do it if you'll go with me. So we were one of the first parent-child um, combo to go through the program, which now is almost a requirement, if not a requirement. And I think it should be. Um, so we went through that program in 2007, um, finished up in at the end of 2007. And uh, from there, um, I started volunteering. So there were a few people, um, one executive by the name of Ron Brown, uh, really encouraged me in my early days in leadership, um, to think about connecting and adding value. And I always have sought out leaders that have led well, not just in business, but in their personal lives. And Ron was one of those. Um, so he was an early connector. Um, I started volunteering heavily with the Garing Center, helped them start their roundtable program and have been in that program now for over 10 years. 
Um, and that was at that time surrounding myself with other next generation family executive potentials. Mm -hmm. um, 10 years later, uh, we're all running our respective family businesses or own our respective family businesses. Um, so th that group of, you know, now it's seven um, of just incredible resources that um, have encouraged me and being around other people, you know, growing and enhancing their leadership and their impact. Um, Lynn Rule um, of Perfect 10 Corporate Cultures mm -hmm. um, has been a great mentor of mine. In fact, my dad and I engaged her as an outside advisor uh, to really walk alongside of us in our transition and to help us hear one another more effectively. So really looking into styles and approaches and communications. And, um, and she's been a tremendous asset as a, you know, I would consider her a part of our business family here at Centennial. You touched on the Gehring Center for Family and Private Business. And um, we have listeners all over the world now with our podcast. It's been really, really exciting watching our podcast grow from just here in Cincinnati to dozens of countries. Um, can you tell me just a little bit more about the Gehring Center? And is, are there other centers out there that our listeners who are in outside of Cincinnati may be able to tap into? Um, just because I do know from working alongside you, the Gehring Center has greatly influenced your leadership. And I feel like it's incredibly enhanced the success of our company um, because there are certain tenets of family business that are the same, no matter what the family business, and they help generations work through that. So are they unique or are there other places like it? So the Gehring Center is the largest family and private business institute that is hosted inside of a university. Um, so John Gehring, John and Gloria Gehring, John was the registrar at um, University of Cincinnati, okay. uh, here in Cincinnati. And John started an organization to serve families mm -hmm. and to help families and private business succeed to the next generation. Um, knowing that family and private business drive economy all over the world and started this organization really to be focused in the tri-state Indiana, Kentucky, Ohio uh, region. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a fairly regional footprint um, to help families become more vibrant and make it to the next, be successful making it to a next generation. Actually, we'll provide a list of organizations and resources in the show notes based on some of the larger countries and regions of the United States where our listeners are based. I'll also encourage our listeners to ask your trusted advisors, what organizations have they seen other family and private business owners utilize to help businesses succeed to the next generation? I want to touch base back again on this whole next generation thing. Um, when, when a son or daughter is considering whether or not to join a family business, what should they be considering? And did you consider those things? Or now in retrospect and looking back, you should have considered those things. Yeah. So one of the things my dad always told me was I can replace a business partner. I can't replace a son. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, again, I think is somewhat unique in what we've shared in our journey of succession, mm -hmm. that you need to keep your relationships first. Um, there was an article that I wrote uh, about family business lessons from the Skywalker family. So for any of you 
Star Wars listeners. Um, you'll enjoy this for those who aren't Star Wars fans. Please, uh, I know you rolled your eyes, but don't don't <laughs> don't leave us. Um, and what I talk about is your life is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the best way to deal with the past is to create your best future, not someone else's best future. Right. So many of the people who are sitting miserable inside their family businesses, whether they're working with parents or siblings or um, cousins um, or children, um, you're not intended to live in a miserable situation. Mm-hmm. You know, And you know that, so don't let your parents' choices, your grandparents' choices define you, you need to define you. Mm -hmm. And I talk about your life is your responsibility and the best way to deal with the past is to create your best future. Um, And I think something that's something that all people who have the opportunity and privilege to be in a family that has a family business, no matter how big or small, um, that we really need to think about. Um, I'd also add you need to discover who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can take time. You know, understanding your strengths and taking assessments and becoming more self-aware is a really key part of of this journey that I've been on. Mm-hmm. And I think many who are successful in the journey have been on as well. Um, and appreciate, respect, and accept the past, but create your best future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is another thing that I referenced that it's really important to focus on your best, not someone else's best and what someone else wants for you. And I know there can be contention there with some families, but at the end of the day, if you know this isn't where you want to be and you know you're not satisfied in this environment and you know you want more, then you need to remove yourself. Mm-hmm. Even if it creates some disconnect within the the family relationship because there's such high expectations. I, for one, didn't have those expectations set on me. You know, my dad always said all the way up to the very end, like right when we were getting ready to make our major transition of ownership was I can replace a business partner. I can't replace a son. Are you sure this is what you want for your the rest of your career or however that journey might be? Um, so those would be some thoughts I would have on that. So you, you touched on expectations and how your dad, I just love how he said that, how you are not replaceable. Um, as a mom, that is... I totally 100% agree with that. But, you know, not everybody thinks like your dad. I think your dad's really special. And I think um, your family is really special. What about those people out there listening who are maybe dreading having that conversation with their mom or their dad or their uncle or grandparent saying, I don't want to join the family business. I want to be X, Y, or Z. And how do you handle a conversation like that? How do you first approach it? Um, and the fallout that most certainly occurs from a conversation like that. You're blessed with a very loving, caring family. What about those people that have different dynamics? Any tips on that really difficult conversation? Yeah, I think one is, again, you you are empowered to be your best you. Mm-hmm. And even if it is close relative, whatever that relative might be, um, I've seen this with grandparents where a grandparent wants the expectations that this individual go into the family business, even if the parent and the child knows that that's not really what the child wants, the grandchild wants. Um, and I think you need to get the courage to speak up and to have that conversation, right? You need to be the courageous leader in your life and speak for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and how in doing it in a loving, kind way mm-hmm. is certainly critical, but they may not hear it in a loving, kind way. And right. you need to be bold enough to be able to take that decision. Um, the other piece is if you're in the opposite position and you're the next generation, the success of your successor should be mission number one. Mm-hmm. And you need to pick the right successor for your business. So that's where, and you'll hear, you know, you can hear a lot if anyone speaks to my father. Um, he wanted to make sure that I would, that whoever is in that position is the right successor. This was not given to me. Mm-hmm. This was me developing myself to, to be the right successor because I wanted that position just like any executive would. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing you need the right successor for your business to be successful. You owe it to your family. You owe it to the families of everyone you employ to not just put the individual in the role because they're a family member. So it was time for a succession. And how did that happen? Did your dad say to you one day, Mike, I want you to be the president? Or did you say to your dad, Dad, I aspire to be the president? How did that all come about? Yeah. So again, this was a succession play for us. So there was a strategy design years in advance. And who helped you with that? Um, so several of the advisors that I've referenced, certainly going through a fa- the Family Business Institute, Family and Private Business Institute, the next generation at the Garing Center. Um, and we designed a strategy of what success looked like for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't necessarily include me. That was what does the company need to be successful because we take pride in employing families, not just a team member. Mm-hmm. And um, and looking at our business more as a business family uh, leading into this than a family business at the time, mm-hmm. right? So we want to take care of the business. Um, and there was a development plan, a very well, well thought out, detailed development plan. Um you know, enhancing listening. I've, I've been assessed every way that any executive can be assessed through mm-hmm. assessment tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and which has been very helpful, understand strengths and differences. And I don't lead like my dad. I don't have right now the same demeanor that my dad has being in his late sixties. Um, you know, I'm still maturing and growing. I've got in, you know, I've got the future focused and he's in that retirement succession stage. Um, so acknowledging the differences between those two behaviors um, is really important. We surrounded ourselves with advisors. We tried to communicate with our team early about here's what we're thinking. What are your concerns about if Junior were to become the next generation? Right. We actually involved three of our clients in the conversation as well. So a unique part of us is we're, we tend to be really transparent with those that, that we work with. So, so we didn't hide this from our customers. We actually went out to three of our clients and shared and got their perspective of mm-hmm. areas that, what does that mean to you? How would that concern you? Um, so planning and communicating and listening to your advisors, surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, in the development plan, it was everything from you know, skill and leadership abilities um, which both meant going through certain programs and information, surrounding myself with great people. It also mean, uh, well, I remember one of the one of the points was coach a little league soccer or baseball team, right? Um, and that was you know a team building. Okay. Uh, that was actually in the original development plan that was put together. <laughs> um, and then there was also a dynamic that making sure our advisors 
not just internal, but our external advisors felt that the timing was right. Okay. Um, a couple other things that we talk about as a part of the testimony and journey of our family succession is being humble. So being able to um, humble yourself right? Um, and know that don't take it personally. I see so many next generation leaders who we just got to learn how to be humble, right? Well, because there's a lack of emotion in being humble, I think. And I, I mean, I and imagine that in family business, emotion can surround a lot of decision making. And if humble leaders listen to listen to divergent points of view and things like that. So it's kind of like taking the emotion out of situations. And I don't think you, um, most people don't innately have that. I mean, that's a Mm. career maturity thing. Okay. You know, I'm glad I wasn't, um, when I thought I was ready to take over the business, I'm glad I wasn't given the opportunity to take over the business. Okay. I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. And, um, you know, I also, um, encourage people invest in relationships, right? So, um, we really listened to people that shared feedback. And I went on a journey asking executives, what do you wish you would have known mm-hmm. or done before you became president and CEO of a company? And then I actually went out and did those things, mm-hmm. right? So I had several executives who I admired who had been in a CEO position. And one of them had probably been CEO for 25 years. Um, what do you wish you would have done before you took that role? Oh, I wish somebody would have asked me, or I wish I would have asked that question when I was a young executive. You know, that is such great advice to surround yourself with experts and kind of build a team surrounding you to to point you in the right direction and that can serve as a sounding board. I know your dad has encouraged even me to do something like that. And I have, I've assembled Team Chris and it's my group of experts that no matter what the question is, I know exactly who I want to go to with that. Yeah. And we do that for businesses all around the world, Mm -hmm. right? So we help executives do that. Build your team, get the right board members. It's not just about your internal team, it's your overall team. Yeah. And think about your team members. Um, That's been covered in many of our episodes in the podcast. You can hear executives and leaders share assembling the right advisory team. Mm -hmm. We're a big believer in that. And communications. When you do that and you create communications, we allowed clients to tell us their concerns about me taking over as president. And it wasn't personal. It was just that means you're going to go through organizational change. Will you still be here in three years when right. I need you? Right? right. That was the other learning for me that it wasn't personal. You know, we were asking them intentionally, what would be your concern when you hear this about one of your key strategic advisors mm-hmm. and, um, and preparing for that and building relationships. And that included introductions for me to their next gen of executives. Mm-hmm. So we had several companies actually say, here are the people on the org chart that we believe over the next five to seven years are going to be running this business. And we would encourage you to spend time with those leaders. Right. Um, and, you know, again, that is a key strategy that without it, it wouldn't have been as seamless. Well, and it's interesting because I manage your schedule, I know how much time you spend with different leadership roundtables and different leadership opportunities. And that is one thing that I just think every time you come back from one of those roundtables, you share a nugget with me that we somehow build on. And those nuggets just continue to grow and strengthen our business. And it's been really exciting. Yeah. If you looked at our org chart, you would see not just our internal team. You would actually see and go, what in the world is this? Mm-hmm. You'd actually see an org chart that lays out Mike Sr.'s advisors, 
Mike Jr.'s advisors. Right. So you see initials that aren't on our core team that we have surrounded ourselves with. Right. And key relationships that, um, you know, we couldn't have got where we are today without those relationships in our lives. Well, one thing that I find interesting is is that the, the great thing about having a leadership team surrounding you like that that's not necessarily on the team is, like, you're not expected to know the answer to every single thing. And I feel like a lot of times leaders think, gosh, I should know how to handle that, whatever that is. But gosh, what a burden. Like nobody's expected to know everything. And that's why you have this group of people ready to support you, lift you up when necessary, um, guide you in the right direction, serve as a guidepost for you both professionally and personally, because you aren't expected to know all the answers. And yeah, and when you put the right people around you, has been my learning. Again, I'm very um, appreciative of this. Like they, you know, these are relationships who really care about your success, not just your business success. Mm-hmm. And there's a few relationships. Jonathan Theaters is one. Um, you know, I always joke. Jonathan's dad and my dad have known each other for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jonathan, and I speak of just about every other day. Right. Right. Just checking in, whether it's through a text message or a phone call. We both run very vibrant, growing businesses. And I have a friend who cares about me to check in and hope and vice versa. Um, and, and he's in my roundtable, my CEO roundtable that I've been in through the Garing Center. Um, that roundtable of Brent Rippey and Tara Halpin and Scott Buecher and Howard Kaplan and Lee Bushman and Jonathan Theaters, they're there. We are there to help each other be successful and our businesses vary, but at the end of the day, we're all in family business. Um, and that's the type of relationships we need. Um, well, and then we have some clients like that. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my early clients I mentioned earlier, Chris Painter, I helped him go through his leadership transformation that you hear in one of episode 15 of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. And we're best of friends, right? you know? And, uh, and we care about one another personally and our families and how are we doing in life. But we met through search engagements yeah. that led to this intimate relationship of helping him elevate and him allowing me to come into that circle of advisors for him. And now we're best friends. Well, and I notice, you know, as I mentioned, since I manage your calendar, I see you guys get together to play cards. You take little trips together that are you know, fun and educational. So you kind of blend your personal and your professional lives. And because I think a lot of times, at least the leaders that we've encountered, they feel like they don't have friends and everybody needs friends. And you need people like, like-minded people surrounding you both personally and professionally. Yeah. And if you hear, hopefully if you take away one thing from this interview, if you're a leader who feels isolated, you need to reach out to other people. And whether that's through directly calling myself up and saying, here's how I feel. I need help making connections. I'll get you on his calendar. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The advisors, my dad's journey has been about the amazing people the Lord has put in his path. Mm -hmm. And I hope that's another 
takeaway of putting the right people, building your right team doesn't just mean internal. It also means external. Mm -hmm. You need to have relationships. If you're a family business leader or a private company leader and you feel you're in total isolation, I'm afraid to talk to my board because they're all family. I can't talk to my boss or chairman because that's my dad or grandpa Mm -hmm. or uncle or mom. Um, And I don't have anyone to talk to. That's the value of roundtables, whether it's YPO or Vistage or EO or the Garing Center or if your Chamber of Commerce has an executive roundtable program and the many, many countless other roundtable programs around the country that are outstanding um, and the world. Those are the reasons for those types of resources. Right. Right. There's a reason why organizations like YPO and Vistage, it's not just all about business. It's about connection, enjoying life together. Because we know that business is stressful and work can be stressful and you need a release. Right. We could talk about this all day, but one last topic I wanted to to touch on is transition and transformation and merging old with new. When um, it seems that after succession takes place and the second generation is in the top leadership roles within the organization, it seems that transformation and transition seem to follow that. So succession, then transition and transformation. And I've seen it here in us standing up the Talent Magnet Institute. Um, You know, executive search is absolutely positively our core business, Um, what, what we do day to day. But here we are standing up this new organization to reach and touch even more leaders. And with, through things like this podcast and through our blog and through different um, consulting opportunities that we've had. How I feel like you've done a pretty great job of merging old with new and keeping one side of the business going while standing up another side, of, uh, something brand new. Like what a balancing act. What tips can you offer our listeners for doing something like that? Because from my perspective, it's been pretty seamless, but I will admit I have not been in every conversation. Has it been as seamless as it seems? It has been strategic, and mm-hmm. there's been a design, and there's been a vision, and all of those things coming together. You know, I share our board of advisors, the greatest impact they've had on us is giving us the encouragement to do what we thought we should do, but were just hesitant doing, mm-hmm. right? Um So by caring about the future um, and focusing on what success looks like for the future, one of the things, one of the gifts that my father has provided this organization and all of the clients and relationships he has served for over four decades is he's innovative. Mm -hmm. He's thinking about what's around the corner. Right. You know, it, um, and for some people, it may drive some people nuts because he's a reader, he's a leader, he's constantly learning. He's still to this day that way. Um, And he's always asking what's right for the customer. So the journey we're on right now is what we believe is right for the customer. It's what we believe is right for the world of leaders that we serve. And it's encouraging to feel like this is a walk by faith. Um, It's scary at some points. And it's been a long time coming. Um, I talked earlier in this podcast about the strategic planning we did in 2002. Um, part of that was looking at an executive search firm. You have an, you have a lot of connections. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of relationships. We tend to refer 
the those relationships that we trust and know most into projects to help outside of search, but into consulting. Um, and we want to build an organization that helps leaders reframe success in leadership and build the best of all things and take a holistic approach to organizational health and people health and relationships. And that's not any different than what Centennial has been doing for 43 years. It's this kind of the same founding, the foundation of what our firm was laid on. So it, it aligns to vision and values. It aligns to focus of disrupting an industry and helping leaders achieve their ultimate success, their next chapter of success. Um, and yes, it's taken, you know, we really started putting legs to this in 2013. Um, and it has taken the last five years to get to where we are today. And it's not been easy. Um, but we've had really open conversations about fears, about concerns, about focus, validation with customers, um, experiencing taking pilot projects and vetting out um, the impact of the future success. And uh, not just because we wanted to build something new, but because we wanted to further the impact about the future leaders and clients today that we serve and helping them elevate. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, um, yeah, so great question. And um, no, it's not been easy. It's probably not been as seamless as some might feel. Um, But we have a strategic plan. We have advisors that help us on our strategic plan. We have focus. We're building vision we're aligning goals and objectives. And if you read our strategic plan from eight, nine years ago, you'll see this message in there. Mm-hmm. It just now has become Talent Magnet Institute. While you were talking, I just wrote down two words that came to mind as you were relating to our listeners the whole backstory behind the Talent Magnet Institute and why I think it's gone well. Like it just came to me. Both you and your dad are receptive to each other's ideas, and you both respect each other. And receptiveness and respect permeates our organization. And I don't know, I've worked a bunch of different places, and that hasn't always been the case wherever I worked, or with other leaders who I've interacted with. And I think those are the two elements that are present here. And I think... You know, we always talk about, oh, people always say, what is the secret to Centennial success? And, you know, people think it's the relationships. And while those are absolutely paramount and most important, I do think part of that mix is a receptiveness that you guys have to divergent points of view that not only that you guys have, but to our team too. Our team gives you candid feedback. We're never afraid to share anything. And then the respect that every idea is given. So... That just came to me, so I had I had to write it down and share it with everybody. I think those are two very important elements. So you have three kids, three adorable people, I think, Abby, Jacob, Ethan. Are they even aware that you own a family business, or are they kind of like you, clueless as little people? No, it's been really interesting. It's a great, it's a great question. My kids are aware mm-hmm. that we run a family business, um, and... You know, let me rephrase that. I think they're aware. Jacob and Abby are, Ethan, at the time of this recording, is seven. Um, Abby's only eight, but she just asked me last night, hey, Dad, when are you going to record me on a podcast? Okay. Um, So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, And they're curious. Mm -hmm. You know, Ethan, who's seven, asked me if he could go to work with me today. And unfortunately, I have some commitments this evening. And 
um, I wouldn't be able to pull, have him tag with me, but, um, and, but we talk a lot about the responsibility and, you know, they know our team, Mm -hmm. you know, they know Miss Lewis and Mrs. Sheeler and, uh, Mr. Bug, and they know our team that have been with us. Um, um, you know, Mrs. Valerius and Mrs. Spence and, um, and that's, that's important. You know, they feel like they're part of the team and sometimes you all treat them like they're part of the family. Right. And, yeah. and we want the them to have family. the same aspect of them treating, you know, this like a, a business family. So, um, but, but it'll be interesting to ask them in 10 years, you know, we'll have to come back together in 10 years and ask Jacob that question, um, and see, you know, what it was like growing up in a family business. Yeah. Um, I think the journey that, has been something profound that I was shared with by a, a, an advisor that remember the way you talk about people and the world around you and your customers and the challenges of business. Your kids hear that. Yes. They hear the tone. They hear the way you talk about work. Yes. Whether you're in a family business or not. Yes. And we do need to be mindful of that. I'm very thankful that my dad had that filter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to just constantly, th- you know, check myself. Yeah. Of am I sharing just too much? Because I'm in the middle of grow. You know, we're in the middle of some big disruptive global activities, mm-hmm. and um, and I tend to be a really external communicator on some of that stuff. So just checking on that and making sure that they have a good experience of mom and dad owning a company, and it's not viewed as a negative. Yeah. Well, I have three teenagers, and every day when I come home from work and they say, "How was your day?" I say, "It was great, and I love what I do," and. I think that that is very important because, you know, you spend a lot of time working and you were not put on this planet necessarily necessarily to play. You were put on the planet to work and to advance the planet. And um, I feel like attitudes towards work are shaped at home and they're shaped early on. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Even in the bad times. Even right? in the bad times. You know, maybe you were put in the bad time to be in the bad time and to be a light in the bad time. Right. And, you know, remembering that. And in the great times, celebrating that, but doing it in a way that also gives honor to the great Lord above and your team and all the people that make this possible. Right. Um, to bring it together. That it's not one person. It's an entire team and an organization. Well, great. Well, Mike, I wanted to thank you for a few things. Um, first, giving me the opportunity to walk alongside you on this journey. This has been really exciting. Um, I have an entrepreneurial bent myself, and so it's been incredibly exciting watching um, not only Centennial grow and expand its reach, but standing up the Talent Magnet Institute and doing things like this podcast. So I've had incredible opportunities because our organization is very forward-thinking, and um, so I wanted to thank you for that. And then I also wanted to thank you for the opportunity to interview you because I hope that our listeners have learned a lot from your journey. I feel like we could do three more podcasts, um, not just because I want to host three more, but <laughs> <laughs> but because I feel like you have so much to say that benefits other people. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your insights with our listeners today. And um, I hope our listeners have gain some insight as to what it's like working in a family business, especially as a second generation leader, and some of the concerns and the happy times and the good times, and um, also the tough times too. So um, it's, it's 
a privilege to work in an organization like this, whether you're a family member or not. And I commend both you and your dad for making us non-family members feel like family members. Um, and it's a very meaningful work that we do. And um, we transform people's lives and we transform organizations um, in so many ways. So I hope that um, you all have learned something from joining us today. So thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. This yes. has been an honor. Do you want to make sure you're getting the most out of your current and your prospective talent? Go to talentmagnetinstitutepodcast.com talent and find out the 10 questions you should be asking yourself to stay ahead of the game. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.